Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Today I wanted to talk about breaking cycles of discouragement. How many of you have ever been discouraged before? Okay, two, so I'm preaching at the wrong church apparently. Hey, if not, that's awesome. Uh, But this is actually something that um, I've definitely struggled with, having cycles of discouragement. Uh, You know, there's times where you're like, yeah, I could do this. And then you're like, no, this is not working. This is not happening. This is feel like a failure, you know, those type of things. How many of you have ever felt that before? Yeah. Thank you, Lena. I appreciate that. All right. So before I deal with discouragement, I feel like it's important to point out that discouragement and fear work together. They partner together. But what do they partner together for? What is the purpose that they partner together for? I believe the end goal in mind is influence over you. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, this verse is referring to two spirits. Say two spirits. The first one is the spirit of fear. And then the other spirit is the spirit that we've been given, right? The one of power and love and a sound mind. And I feel like it's important to make this distinction because as spiritual beings, it's, it's a part of our spiritual DNA to respond, interact, and be influenced by spiritual environments. Romans 8.14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So we were created to be led. We were created to be influenced by spiritual realms. Are you guys following me? So when we were created, it's part of our DNA to actually be influenced by spiritual things. And here in Romans 8, who are we led by? If we're children of God, who are we led by? The Spirit of God. So as children of God, now we are led by the Spirit of God. So our attention has shifted. Say with me, my attention has shifted. So this is why we're commanded to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because we were created, it's a part of our spiritual DNA to actually be led or be influenced by spiritual realms or by spirits. But as children of God, where is our attention? Where Where do we shift our focus now that we're children of God? We shift it to the spirit of God. So if we allow fear to control us, We are surrendering to its desire, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if we surrender to fear, we're surrendering to its desire, which is stealing, which is killing, which is destroying. Fear is a form of faith in your enemy. Now, fear is the false reality of things I dread and the suspicion of things I do not see. So fear partners with discouragement to gain control influence, and we can see this partnership revealed throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy 31, 7, 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go, say with me, for you must go go. 
with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give to them. I think that's kind of funny. For you must go with this people, the ones that complained, the ones that rebelled. You got to take them with you. You must divide, and then he says, you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do you see how they're together? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So I love this exhortation. Be strong and courageous, for you must go. What is he saying? For you must step into your promised land. What does discouragement do? Stay where you feel safe. So what is Moses actually telling him to do? For you must go into your promised land. For you must fulfill your calling. For you must confront your adversary. Because what are they doing? They're dividing up the land. But guess what? There's people in the land, right? So, you know, a lot of times we want our pastor just to be like, be strong, be courageous, but don't tell me what to do. Now, I understand that there has been abuses of power and there's been a pendulum swing. And then but what happens is we swing the pendulum the other way and then they have another set of problems. But this is what Moses does. He encourages, he builds up, and he says, you must go. And I'm not just talking about having pastors that are all up in your life and telling you what to do. I'm just saying there are moments in, in our life where we need leaders. And I'm even talking about myself. Having leaders to say, listen, you got to go. You got to step into what you're called to. You can't be living in fear. You can't be backing down, Right? For you must go. You know, discouragement will question all of these things. You know what? Is this really the place? Is this really the place, God, that you called me? You know, am I really the person for the job? <laughs> is now really the time? Discouragement will cause you to weigh options you have never been given. Why? Because you must go. You must fulfill. And that's what discouragement does, you know? It puts us in a state of feeling hopeless. It puts us in a state of settling for what is mediocre causes you to question everything. And sometimes we need people in our life that say, get going. And that's really not the sermon today, so I don't really know why I went there. But sometimes when we're in a funk, we need someone to get us out of it. So discouragement in, in Hebrew means to be shattered, to be dismayed, to be broken. When you become discouraged, you become separated. It becomes difficult to piece things together. So what does this mean? Your identity becomes disjointed from your calling. So what does that mean? It means, am I the one for this? Am I the person for this? Can I actually do this? See, when you're discouraged, you're, who you are is then disjointed from what you're actually called to. Your vision and callings, your vision and calling become disjointed from your present. Like you look at yourself and say, yeah, I've been getting all these prophetic words and they're great and awesome, but this is, this is what's happening right now. It becomes disjointed. It's like where I'm at right now does not even seem close to what you've said. And so discouragement will keep us in that place. 
Some translations will say dismayed. Dismay means to cause to lose courage or resolution because of alarm or fear. Do you see the partnership? You lose courage and resolution because of fear or alarm. What is alarm? Oh, I didn't expect that to happen. How many of you just been going through life? Oh, Jesus loves me. And then boom, wasn't expecting that. And then what happens? Oh, I guess I got to be more careful now. Fear enters in, right? Resolution means a firm decision to do or not to do something. You know, we do these things at the beginning of the year, so I guess we shouldn't really call them resolutions. If it, Okay, forget it. <laughs> a firm decision to do or not to do something. A firm determination. So when you lose resolution, you lose confidence. Why is that? How many of you have a computer? Most of us, right? And most computers have screens, right? All right, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible so everybody can understand it. So they have screens, and your screen has a screen resolution, okay? So the lower the resolution, can anybody tell me what happens? So it makes it blurry. So when you're discouraged, your vision becomes blurry. But you know what else it does? When you lower resolution, it actually makes the things on the screen bigger. So when you're discouraged, your circumstances in your life just got magnified. So I want to give some signs of discouragement. Loss of clarity. You're like, I thought I knew what was happening, but now I, did. I don't know, Lord. Why have you brought me here? <laughs> so loss of clarity, blurry vision. Your circumstances become magnified. You know, when you're discouraged, little things will seem huge. <laughs> Mountain out of a molehill, right? Another one is your life becomes disjointed to the point of feeling broken. You feel that there is something wrong with you. Another one is shattered. Remember the definition of discouraged? It meant shattered. Think about this. Have you ever had a moment in your life, think if I took a vase and I smashed it and it became shattered, what would that tell us about the vase? It would say, this cannot be fixed. So when you feel discouraged, you'll say, I am broken beyond repair. This situation is broken beyond repair. Come on now. Man, I can just feel... Whew. God's going to set us free today, guys. So basically, discouragement has a deep sense of hopelessness. What is the language of discouragement? What is the language of, what do we say when we're discouraged? Because sometimes when we're discouraged, we have an emotional reaction. Like when the washer breaks for the fifth time, what comes out of our mouth? We can't repeat it in church. So if we just had the boo, right? Not in this church, no. So, and the church down the road, up on the hill. All right. So... What is the language of discouragement? We'll say things like, I can't handle this. I just can't handle this. We'll say things like, I'm done. What does that mean? What does that really mean? I'm done. I'm just done. Done. I'm done with it. 
Another thing, another language of discouragement. I'm, say, I'm giving you these things so you can recognize when you're in it. We'll say things like, you know, nothing makes sense anymore. Remember what I said, when we are discouraged, we lose clarity, right? You know, nothing makes sense anymore. We'll say things like, you know what, there's always an issue. There's all, doesn't surprise me because there's always an issue. <laughs> I just learned to expect the worst. We'll say things like, what's the point? What's the point? It's never productive anyways. We'll, we'll say things like, no one cares. No one cares. Now, how many of you have ever said these things and then you kind of look back and be like, that's kind of ridiculous. But in the moment, we're saying these things. So I'm just trying to point out when a spirit is trying to affect you. Because what, what do I mean by we'll look back and we'll say, that wasn't me saying that. Right? Have you ever been there? So the mouth will reveal what's in the heart. So discouragement, dismay, the prefix D-I-S, dis, means apart or away, having deficiency, lack or withdrawal, separate from negative or reversing force. So discouragement is the absence of being deprived of, being separated from, and being withdrawn from courage. Do you see how fear and discouragement partner together? Because they're trying to pull you away from faith. They're trying to pull you away from courage. You know what? Joshua had plenty of reasons to be discouraged. Remember, Joshua is now expected to lead a people that had a history of complaining and rebellion. How many of you have ever viewed your future events based upon past negative situations? Everybody can raise their hand. So think about this. Moses is about ready to go. Now Joshua's the man, and what's his history? A people that complained and rebelled. And why does Moses say, you must take these people with you? who had a history of making decisions based on fear. Do you remember how I said discouragement will make our circumstances so much bigger, they'll be magnified? Do you remember when I said that? Think about this. They send in 12 spies, and 10 of them come back and say, there are giants in the area, and we are grasshoppers. Their problem was magnified. So they have a history. Now, they had 400 years of bondage and slavery, so I'm not pointing a finger. I'm just saying they had a history, and they had a mentality, and we can actually see in Joshua where their mentality actually changed. He said, if anybody doesn't listen to you, yeah, we're going to kill them. <laughs> so they, they've changed over these 40 years. But what I'm saying is he's look, Joshua is looking at the situation, and he's view, he could be viewing it, through his past situations. When you view, when we view our future through the negative experience of our past, we grant access to the spirit of discouragement. So when we look at our past situations that were negative, and we look through them into the future, we say, discouragement, I give you a place. That's why we're people of faith, right? Many people just want to confront the feeling of a spirit rather than identifying why a spirit is harassing them. A lot of times when we're confronted with fear, we try to deal with fear. But the truth is, what is the end goal of fear? Fear is to control you. So how do you combat fear? You don't submit to it. So 
So the end goal of discouragement and fear is to control or to influence. Fear and discouragement partner together to reach this goal. The feelings of hopelessness and anger. Oh, that's another thing. When you're discouraged, it will show up as anger. Isolation, a divided mind, lack of clarity, the lack of motivation are not the end goal of discouragement. They're just symptoms. The end goal of discouragement is to control, but it does it through depriving you of courage. When we only address symptoms, we stay in cycles. When we only address the symptom, we stay in cycles. So how many of you have ever felt hopeless? Sure, all of us. So they're like, I just, need, I just need to get out and make this feeling go away. But guess what? It comes around again. So I'm saying that we don't actually deal with the anger or the frustration or the lack of vision. Those are just symptoms. We have to attack the, the goal of discouragement. Could you imagine... Could you imagine if we only address the symptoms of a broken leg? What is a symptom of a broken leg? It's pain. So you go in, your, your leg's broken, you can't walk, you know, you're on crutches. The doctor says, you know what, let's deal with this. Let me give you some good pain medication. But it never get healed. Because we're just trying to deal with the symptom. We're not trying to deal with the real issue. And we do this all the time with emotional pain. We feel this emotional pain. We feel this discouragement. And we're like, how can I make this go away? A gallon of ice cream will help. <laughs> right? Or whatever, right? A box of donuts. I don't know. So we're trying to deal with the feeling rather than why it's happening. To combat discouragement, you don't attack the symptoms. Relieving the symptom is a temporary fix. To combat discouragement, you must identify the area of lost courage and step into it. Say that again. To combat discouragement, you must identify the area of lost courage and step into it. So I told Danny that if he sits on the front row, he gets picked on. She's like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> so you're, you're feeling hopeless. You're feeling uh, discouraged. So how do you attack that? You actually step into your calling. Because why is it doing it? Why is it attacking you? To keep you from stepping into your promised land. So you don't attack it by, oh, let, let, me, just, let me just feel better. You attack it by actually, you know what? That thing that I've been putting off, I'm going to do it right now. That thing that I've been saying for years I'm going to do, I'm going to do it now. Because you know why? Because it that discouragement always cycles around to keep you from doing what you're called to. So this is how you attack the virus of discouragement, not just the symptoms. You step into calling. You step into identity. You step into purpose. You step into vision. If we only address the feeling of discouragement, we will remain in the cycle of it. Because we're never really dealing, like I said, the example of the broken leg. We're just, we're just dulling the pain, but never actually fixing the issue. Now, obviously, this is totally easier said than done, right? It's totally easier. But remember, I said, I'm preaching this because, have you ever needed to preach yourself a sermon? Yeah, this is me preaching myself a sermon, okay, everybody? And I'm sure you guys can relate to it. So discouragement does not always attack the area that seems obvious. So discouragement won't always attack your calling. 
Discouragement won't always attack your identity. What discouragement does is it, it will attack other areas. So Danny's getting himself ready to go do something. Boom, the washer breaks. Okay? It's not attacking what he's called to. It's saying, hey, look at me over here. Look at me. Put your emotions on what I'm trying to do. Come on. So it comes to financial pressure. Now, I will say this. The spirit of discouragement does not have the power to break your washer. Okay. I'm not giving spirits that power. What I'm saying is they happen. It happens. But what discouragement will do, it will, it will attach itself to the emotion of it. So you go, you, you step out and do something, and then that one relative that always has an issue all the time, that happens again. It says, put your attention on me. Put your energy on me. Put your skills on me. Put your strategies on me, not on what you're called to. Basically, this is the not again tactic. So the goal is to draw attention away from the real issue. You will shut the door of discouragement when you step into courage to have a firm determination. Cycles of discouragement are empowered when you forfeit your power to your circumstances. I'll say that again. Cycles of discouragement are empowered when you forfeit your power to your circumstance. So discouragement gets its power when you, when you um, relate or you, you basically put all your energy and your power into what it's doing. So as long as you forfeit your power to your circumstances, Cycles of discouragement will become predictable, like clockwork. How many of you have ever dealt with something that you're like, well, it's that time of year again? No one knows what I'm talking about. Everybody's like, oh, my word, that never happened. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, um, it's discouragement season uh, on the calendar. Have you ever been there? Come on, let's be real. It's like, oh. I feel, I feel hopeless now. Good thing we're talking about surface level stuff today. <laughs> you know, before I always used to be like, why do I have to preach these type of things? That's just how it is. I don't know. Pap can sing to you and stuff like that. Uh, uh. Don't worry. He'll sing to you next week. He'll, he'll make it all better after this one. That's why they let me one time a month. It's a one time a month thing. Yeah, that's true too. All right. Another tactic of discouragement is to keep you in crisis and emergency, which distracts you from purpose. Why is this important to know? Because not every crisis is your personal responsibility to resolve. Amen. Some, some people wanted to hear that. Some people needed to hear that. <laughs> that uh, troubled relative. All right. So when you try to resolve every crisis, you begin to lose your resolution on what you're called to. If you spend your time, resources, giftings, talents, emotional uh, and physical and mental energy, emotional capacity on things that I was not meant to do, what, what are we left? What is left for the things that we're called to? If we feel like it's our responsibility to fix every crisis that is going on around us, there will be nothing left for what we're called to. And guess what? We're going to become frustrated because we're always dealing with issues, but never doing the thing that's in our heart. 
What you're called to will have its own crisis. What you're called to is going to have its own crisis. So if we're putting all this energy on things that we're not meant to do and what, not what we're called to, what do we have for the things that are actually in front of us? If you allow crisis to distract you from your destiny, guess what? There will always be crisis. There will always be crisis. Because we're empowering this cycle. If we were called to, then we were created to. So if we were called to do something, we have everything that we need with inside of us to accomplish that. And anything outside of that function is dysfunction. Anything outside of calling and purpose. Now, I know we got to do life, right? I get that. But anything outside of our function turns into dysfunction. Let's give a perfect example. I think I will. Let's do that. All right. <laughs> as long as it's not you. No, it's actually in the Bible. I thought, I thought we would. Yeah. All right. Acts 6, 1 through 4. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. You mean this happened in Acts? Okay, just wondering. Okay, so the 12 called together a meeting of all the believers they said, we, have a, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running food programs. Obviously, they had different ways of communicating back in Acts. And so, brothers, let's select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. These are seven men that are going to feed the widows. And they need to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this re responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. I can imagine Peter saying this. You know, we apostles, our job is to pray and to read the scripture, not run food programs, people. <laughs> I could just see Peter just saying it that way. It, let me just say this. It's not like this crisis wasn't noble. Right? This is feeding the widows. This crisis was a noble thing or a righteous thing. But what are the, the apostles doing? This is not our responsibility. Okay. It's not like it wasn't the Christian thing to do. It's not like the apostles' motives could have been misjudged. You know, Peter, wasn't Jesus the one washing your feet? Didn't he say being servants of all and you're the apostle? <laughs> but the apostles knew what season they were in. The apostles knew what season they were in, and we're going to see what actually happened. Their season was studying the word in prayer and teaching the word. Although, although the responsibility was right and noble, it was not theirs to take. You have to understand that this was a full-time responsibility. Why else would there be seven men who were well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom they needed to be respected because this was, this was believed to be in a discrimination issue. Wasn't it? You know, the Hebrew-speaking Jews are, you know, not getting as much as the Greek or whichever one it was, right? So the issue needed time. It needed wisdom to deal with. Acts 6, 6. 
These seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Obviously, this responsibility was a lot bigger than just waiting tables. These men were being anointed and appointed for this. So let's look at the big picture. Remember I said the apostles knew what season they were in. Acts 6, 7. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers were greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. This is the result of seven men taking responsibility, freeing the apostles to do what they were called to do, studying in prayer and teaching the word. It's interesting that the scripture actually says many priests were saved. Why do you think it was important that the apostles studied the word? So that they can say, listen, this is, this is where Jesus is. This is where Jesus is in the scripture. And why could they do that? Because they had time to study the scripture. Are you guys following me? Scripture makes it clear that no one had a problem with the apostles' decision. Acts 6, 5. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Remember how I said discouragement will always keep crisis going? Know your season. Know what you're called to. And like I said, it's not like that this situation wasn't a noble or Christian thing to do. Because didn't Jesus tell us to serve? But the apostles knew their area where they needed to serve. Does this make sense? The most powerful and liberating action you could ever take is to hear and obey the voice of God. Many times discouragement can be traced back to delayed obedience. Our advancement is halted because we're missing the key that only obedience could bring. That there are truths that are waiting to be revealed through the act of obedience. Open doors that cannot be walked through until you walk through the opportunity before you. The maturity that is established through surrendering your will that in turn prepares you for the weight of the new level. Many times we don't have the next step because we haven't obeyed the first one. Oswald Chambers said, even the smallest bit of obedience opens heaven and the deepest truths of God immediately become yours. Yet God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you have obeyed what you already know. Wow. God, give me more. What have you done with what I already spoken? God, pour out. What have you done with what I've given you? And I'm not saying God's withholding his favor. I'm just saying that the revelation could be on the other side of the door of obedience. That the answer's already there. It just takes you to step through it. So I won't give you more until you experience what I've already given. So to combat discouragement, go where you're called. If you're dealing with cycles of discouragement or even experience discouragement, how you fight it or how you resist it is do what you already know. Because that is what is trying to, to hinder you or hold you back from. So you know when I preach, I like to give practical steps on how to do it. So this is kind of just a little review of what I just said, but it's in kind of step form, I guess. Whether you feel like you're in a cycle of discouragement or just experience discouragement at some level, I believe that these steps can help you confront it. 
So these steps are in really no particular order. But if there was a first step, this could be, if you're like a step person and you need like order, if there was a possible first step, this could be it. Okay. But in no particular order, right? So the first step, if there was a step, all right. The first one is recognize that you're discouraged. Because you can never deal with something if you're not aware of it. So become aware of what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. So it's important to be aware of your emotional state. I mean, there's some times where you're like, you respond in anger and like, why are you angry? I don't know why I'm angry. Right? There's times like that, right? I'm not angry. I have no bad attitude. Right? So Jason Valentin, he's actually one of the counselors out, uh, out at Bethel. But he defines uh, self-awareness as the ability to know what's going on within yourself at all times. To discern and to understand your feelings and emotions. To know and take ownership of your thoughts. So I really feel like that's really important because not every thought that you have is yours. All right? Like when, when we say, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, done. That might not actually be our thought. Because remember how I said we look back and say, what? What was it? What were you doing? <laughs> he says, you can't keep a thought from coming, but you can keep it from staying. And you can keep it from defining you. So when I, when I talk about, when he talks about self-awareness, he's saying, know what's going on in the inside of you. I mean, some people that's really easy for, like easy to know, right? Other people, not so much. But I would just say, the more you do it, the more you'll become aware. The more you'll be able to have the language of the heart. What is the language of the heart? This is what I'm feeling, right? We all love sharing our feelings, don't we? We're actually commanded to do this. I didn't know if you knew that. Uh, If you did, if you heard me preach before, you probably did. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Other versions will say guard or keep your heart, for it determines the course of your life. So we're actually commanded to know the condition of our heart. Did you know that was a command? to know what's going on in the inside. And actually, I would say at all times, because it said to watch or to guard your heart. So when you make this verse a goal, you begin to become more aware of what's in, what your heart is telling you. You begin to speak the language of the heart. This is what I'm feeling, and, and hopefully, this is why I'm feeling it. All right, so that was the first step, recognize. Recognize that you're in discouragement or recognize that you have a really bad attitude. That might be a good one too. All right, once you recognize that it's discouragement, take these steps in no particular order. All right, place your attention, focus, and affection on the Spirit of God. Psalms 56.3 Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust you. In other words, whenever I close myself off, I will run to you. Whenever I want to close myself off, I'll run to you. Whenever I want to run away, I'll run to you. Whenever I'm afraid, I direct my attention to you. And so a lot of times we'll say, The answer is focus on Jesus. 
And people are like, that is awesome. So how do I do that? So let's give some practical steps. I know this one might surprise you, but one is read scripture. Yeah, how about that? Another one is prayer and listen. So it's not just saying, just pouring out your heart or communicating. It's also being quiet and listening for a response. For some of you, it could be journaling. I hate the journal. Actually, I kind of think my sermons are a form of journal, but don't tell me that, okay? <laughs> like, we would have these classes, and they're like, the assignment is the journal. I was like, this is heresy, people. Like, what? Like, I just, anyways. Decree what's, what you already know. When you get discouraged, you get, defra- you get afraid. Decree what he's already spoken over you. Remind yourself of the promise. Another one, pray in tongues. Another one is worship in song. You know, every once in a while, there's a song that comes out that just makes you cry. Put on that song, you know? Put on the crying song, you know? When I was younger, one of the crying songs for me was a Delirious Majesty. Do you guys know that one? Majesty. I'm Jesus. Like, <laughs> You know, there's sometimes metal songs make me cry too, you know, not in that way. No. Another one is rejoice in the Lord. Again, right? Rejoice, meaning repeat. How do we break cycles? We need other cycles. Rejoice. So the first one was place your attention, focus, affection on the Spirit of God. The second one is watch what comes out of your mouth. There's two reasons for that. One, it reveals. Remember how I said watch over your heart? One of the ways that you watch over your heart is what wants to come out of your mouth. Another one Another reason why we want to do this is it also reinforces. So when things come out of our mouth, it actually gives power to what a spirit is doing. And that's even true for the Holy Spirit. If we are saying the things that the Holy Spirit is doing, it's reinforcing it within us. So unaddressed discouragement will loosen your lips. Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Remember how I said discouragement will blur your vision? What does it say? Where there is no vision, the people perish. The word for perish there actually means to let loose, ignore, be loosened of restraint, or to show lack of restraint. So what does this tell us? How many of you, when you, uh, something's been bothering you for a while, just been buried in there, and then it comes out of your mouth, you're probably saying things that you wouldn't say before, right? So when we actually lose vision, we cast off restraint. Think about that. When we don't address discouragement, you'll eventually cast off restraint. A discouraged believer will say the most unfaith-filled things. I know I invented a word there. But when you're discouraged, some of the most unfaith-filled things will come out of your mouth. Like, the thing of faith is like, I am a child of God. And then when we're discouraged, what a lonely sap am I? I'm done. I'm over this. Nothing ever works out. That's just telling us that there is a spirit that is attaching itself to our circumstances. When we stop confessing, oh, this one is for me too, but this one might help you out. 
We need to stop confessing our inability to handle a situation. If we can address it with ourselves, well, let me just say this. I think it's important to address our self-talk. That's the first thing to address. Because a lot of times we're like, we're like saying in our mind, you're an idiot. You are just something. And then if that goes unaddressed, guess what happens? Start bubbling, bubbling out. All right. So Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now this is the chapter before this. I love this. Philippians 3.1, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It is a safeguard for you. So rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard. Another one is get around people of faith that can give you proper perspectives. If you get around people and the pity party starts happening, you're in the wrong place. So remember, discouragement will magnify your problems and blur your vision. So it's so important that you stay connected to community and accountability. Be intentional. Don't wait for the house to be burning down to ask for help. Meaning, like, if there's something going on, maybe talk about it to someone that actually has some faith, right? Instead of like, hey, my house is burning down. Come help. All right. All right, I'm almost done. You know, I really thought this was going to be a short one, but it didn't happen. (laughs) Refuse to allow your past negative experiences to power Oh, okay. Refuse your past negative experience to power, the power to determine your present level of obedience. So if you're looking at what God's called you to do and you keep on saying, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what someone said, this is what they're going to do, we're viewing future events based on, from a negative lens. So refuse to do that. Be aware of your season. Past failures or disappointments could be your harvest today. Think about this. Hey, Peter, throw down your nets. I just want to have you know that we've been out all night, and we've already done this, and there was no fruit or fish. Fruit in a um, figurative sense. Thank you. There will be no fish. (laughs) And we're done. We are done. (laughs) Be aware of your season. Because it could be Jesus saying, throw down your nets. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Stop trying to fix the feeling of discouragement and confront it head on in, the, in acts of faith. I really feel like this is really important. Be strong and courageous, for you must go. To combat discouragement, you must identify the area of lost courage and step into it. What is the area where I'm called, but I've been hesitant to step into? Identify it and step into it. So this is how you attack the virus of discouragement, not just the symptoms of discouragement. If we are called to, then we are created to, and anything outside of that function is dysfunction. So know who you are, know what you're called to, be confident in it, have resolve, and a firm determination. And lastly, to break off a cycle of discouragement. We do it by conquering or collecting small victories. A lot of you know that I'm a sports fan, a Chiefs fan. Yeah. About them. All right. See, there's only one other fan in here. 
passed it down, generational blessings, and yeah, you thought you thought you. All right. So you know, you know, I'm a, a sports. Well, I guess Chiefs fan. Chiefs, not cheese. Not cheese. I mean, cheese is okay. But uh, so there was a point in the Chiefs' history that they had a losing culture. And, uh, hey, well, if we want to get in debate right now, we can. We can. We can. We can make it happen, but it's just going to make it longer, people, okay? All right, I'm seriously, this is my last point. All right. It is, I promise. Um, So there was a losing culture, right? Meaning there was a habit of losing. How many of you know those teams, right? The Browns. You know, at, at one point, it was the Saints, right? At one point, okay, the, the Cubs, like, they lost, like, for a hundred, the hundred, hundreds of years, and then they found, so, well, a hundred years. I know it was in the hundreds, all right? So, you, you guys kind of get where I'm talking about. Like, there is a culture. There, when you're in a winning culture, wins just kind of, they happen because you're in the habit of winning. And like with a losing culture, it's like, we're going to find a way to lose this game. Like we're ahead right now. We're 40 points ahead, but we will find a way, right? We'll make it happen. So my point in this is sometimes we get in a habit of defeat. This happened again expecting negative things. And we get into this culture of an expectation of failure. And so how do we change the culture, our internal culture? I think we can look at David. David had a giant in his life. But what gave him confidence, other than knowing who his God was, that he could defeat the giant. He killed a bear and a lion. He's like, I got this. I already killed a lion, killed a bear. So my encouragement to you is start finding small victories in your life and start collecting them so that you can look back and say, yeah, I had a bad attitude last week and I changed it in five minutes. All right. Some people, that could be a giant. I don't know. Maybe we want to start with something small. But so start finding small victories in your life or small things like, you know, maybe you've been procrastinating on this thing that God told you to do. Well, what's a step that I can make in that direction? Okay. Ooh, that wasn't so bad. All right, let's make. So you start gaining confidence in what you're called. So if you're not ready to face the giant, maybe kill some lions and some bears. So Lord, we just come before you. And Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you've given me truth to expose the spirit of discouragement. And Lord, I just decree right now that its power is broken over every single person in this place. And Lord, I just decree faith and life and liberty and expression in the things that they're called to. I decree a hope. Lord, I decree that where people have lost vision, where things don't seem to make sense anymore, Lord, I just decree right now that that blurred vision is broken off And Lord, I just decree clarity of vision, clarity of purpose right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just decree a courage in the hearts of the people today to recognize the area where they they cowered in fear and that they would actually step towards it and fulfill what they're called to in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could have the healing teams come up.